Welcome to New Life Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. Just an honor to be one of the pastors here. And uh, man, I don't know if you uh, love, if you heard that song and you really caught the lyrics. We are in a series called Playlist today, our highlight song that we just heard from some of our worship team members. Man, it is so rich and full that we could actually do an entire teaching series just on answering the question of who I am, if I'm a follower of Jesus, who, what does that mean? What is my identity? Who am I as a follower of God? I mean, we were singing those lyrics just a moment ago that I'm, I'm loved by God. I'm no longer lost, but I'm found. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer bound. I'm freed. I'm ransomed by God. I have a home with God. I've been chosen by God. I'm never forsaken. And that God is for me. I mean, how many are excited about that? All those truths. Come on. How many are excited about that? Yeah. 
That is good stuff. And if you are excited about that, just, just look at how excited God is about that. In Ephesians 1.5, God says this. He said, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And then catch this. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him what? Great pleasure. I mean, God, God is excited that we... If you're a follower of Jesus, that you're his kid, that you are his child. And so we're going to be looking uh, at this whole truth of who I am as a follower of Jesus Christ so that when we come back at the end of the service and we can sing that song, there's just greater depth and meaning. If you're listening with us online, I just, first of all, want to welcome you uh, to the service here at New Life, but I want to encourage you to go to the Bible app. You can find today's uh, notes there, and in fact, there's a link with uh, this song, and, and if you don't have access to that, just search for uh, Who You Say I Am by Hillsong. Watch that after the service, because that's going to really wrap, it's going to give some great meaning to what I'm talking about today. But this whole truth of what we're singing and what we're saying is wrapped up is wrapped up in this truth for the believer that you are a child of God that you're a child of God but before really I can truly understand my identity as a child of God and all the benefits before I think I can even sing with great gusto and passion and meaning about all those things that I'm forgiven I'm set free I've been chosen by God and really have that transform us in worship before I can understand that, I need to encounter God's motivation for it all. One of the lyrics in the song was this, Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. And then he gives the reason, the art artist gives the reason. It's this, his love for me. If I'm going to really understand what it means to be a child of God, I need to understand the motivation for it all, for God's heart for us, and that is God's love for me. Turn to your neighbor and tell them God loves you. Come on, say it like you mean it. If you're sitting all alone or you're listening online, just tell yourself, God loves you. God loves you. Now, have you ever heard that? I mean, you've heard it in church, right? You heard it just now. You've heard that before, but have you ever heard that and thought, how could God love someone like me? I mean, how could God, why on earth would God love me? After all, and there's some, there's some reasonings why we ask that question. We have these thought patterns that go through our mind. And one of the thoughts is this, I have messed up. How could God love someone like me? Because I've blown it. I've sinned. If I look at God's word, man, it's blatantly obvious that I've blown it. I've messed up. So we can say, how could God love someone messed up, a sinner like me? I know all my faults. How about you? You know all your failures. You know all of your sins, and so that could cause me to wonder, why would God love someone as bad as me? You remember, I don't know about you, but I remember the very first time that I sinned, and I felt the weight of that sin, like the weight of that guilt. I was probably around five years old. My dad, is, he's a pastor still to this day, and he was a pastor back then, and, and we had a daycare just like here at New Life in the Kearney campus, we have a daycare, and we had a daycare, it was a separate building, and being the pastor's kid, you know, you think you have carte blanche over everything, you know, 
Um, and so I would go hang out with the daycare kids and play in the playground that was outside. And one time I was playing there and I found this Millennium Falcon toy. Anybody know what the Millennium Falcon is? Okay, it's a Star Wars spaceship, right? Some of you are like, spaceship, oh my word. Probably got it wrong, but it's a Millennium Falcon. I found it and I stole it. Five years old, I stole this toy and I had it at my house and I remember my dad coming in and, and finding me playing with this toy and saying, where, you know, where on earth did you get that? And so I made up, aren't the lies of five-year-olds just awesome? I mean, and I said I was digging in the backyard I was digging, five years old, and I just found this spaceship. I still remember even thinking as a, in my five-year-old mind, I wonder if he's going to wonder how it's so cleaned up, you know? It's, and I remember, I still remember in that moment feeling the weight that I was lying to my dad, and I was wrong. And I wish I could say that's the last time I messed up, but can you remember the first time you felt the weight? And you remember the last time you felt the weight, and in some of those weights, the heaviness can cause us to wonder, why would God love a mess up like me? And so if you're like me, if you've ever wondered how God could love you, you're not alone. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, the apostle Paul says this, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. An apostle is simply a missionary. So he's, he was a missionary sent out and he planted a lot of churches and, and, and reached out as a Jew, he reached out to the Gentiles and, and God used him in great ways. But before that, he was an intellectual religious guy and very smart. And, and so these Jesus followers began to cause a disruption around the region in which he lived. And after Jesus died and he went... He died and went to the cross and he, and he rose again and, and everybody was saying that he was alive. The church was launched on the day of Pentecost and this big thing started happening and Paul, who was before named Saul, he was angry and he persecuted the church. He, he probably killed Christians. He at least approved or ordered their death. And he had this radical conversion experience you can read, out, read about in the New Testament where he encountered Jesus and he was saved, he was set free, and he's coming to this point and he says, for I am the least. You can almost hear him wondering, how can God love someone who has done what I've done? Has there ever been a time in your life where you could relate to that question? How can God love someone who's done what I've done? So, so this, that can be a... a you know, an obstacle to answering the question and be, being able to sing the song here at the end of the service with great conviction and passion because this thing is standing in the way. Even if you're a Christian, you, you could have this guilt over how could God, does God really love me? How could he love me? I'm such a mess up. Another thought is this, that I'm a nobody. Not only have I messed up, but I'm a nobody. I'm insignificant. Think about it. God has over 7 billion people on planet earth. The latest estimate, 7.44 billion people in, the world, in this world, and I'm only one currently alive. I'm a nobody. I'm insignificant. Look at everything that God has to do, and look at all these other people. We compare ourselves to others, and we say, man, I'm not as good as that person, and how could God love someone like me? And everything that God has to do, I mean, God, God can't even get Scott Frost to win. You know what I'm saying? 
And he, I compare myself to him and so how could God love me? And, he, and if you've ever felt that way, you can relate to others in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the nation, the people of Israel, God's people, they were in slavery to Egypt and God told this guy named Moses, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't, but he was a, he was a Jew, a radical story about how God preserved his life from, from death, that the Pharaoh had ordered the death of these little, these little babies and God spared his life and set him up for a purpose, but they he was coming into his purpose and God told Moses that he said, Moses, I'm going to send you and you're going to get them out of slavery. And check out how Moses responded in Exodus 3. He said, but Moses said to God, who am I? Would you say that with me? Who am I? That's what Moses asked. Maybe that's what you're asking today. Look what he said. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he had all kinds of excuses. I'm a nobody. I'm insignificant. I'm not talented enough. I don't have the ability. And so maybe you could relate to that today and you felt how could God love someone, a nobody, insignificant like me? You know, to me, it seems that mankind's identity crisis, uh, the struggle with who we are, identity, it seems to fall into two different categories. There's either narcissism or there's an inferiority complex, right? There's either delusions of grandeur or delusions of insignificance. I actually believe that both of those things are rooted in the same thing, and that same thing is insecurity. And that insecurity is a result, in my opinion, of refusing to experience on a regular basis, refusing to experience and receive God's love, the unconditional love of God, to abide in God's love. And because I'm not abiding and feeling receiving God's love, there's either this bloated view of self or this inferiority complex that we have for ourselves. And, and the, reason, the reason for that, I believe, is because we use the wrong system to determine our value. All of us see the world through a certain lens and we all have this, this system that we use, I believe, to determine our own value. One of the Greatest books that I've ever read had the most profound effect on my life aside from the Bible is this book called The Search for Significance by Robert S. McGee. And I encourage you to write that down if you've not read it, to read it. Because it really speaks about this whole thing that we're talking about, our identity. And he describes the system this way. He says that, that the world, the world system says this, that my self-worth, my self-worth comes from my performance and the opinion of others. So what I do, my performance, and what other people think about me, their opinion, equals my self-worth. And that's a wrong system. And so we either take that and we go towards narcissism or we go towards insignificance. And we, by the way, we tend to, left to ourselves, use that same wrong system to determine the value of other people, to judge other people. Their performance plus what I think and everybody else thinks about them equals their significance. And we need to replace that system with God's system. And God's system is this, that our self-worth, our significance, our identity equals God's truth about me. Your significance equals God's truth about you. And here's what I want you to know about God's truth. Here's God's, one of God's truths. Write this down if you're taking notes. God planned to love you Long before he created you. 
It was God's idea with his plan before you were ever created. He had your name in mind, your personality, your history, your destiny in mind, and he chose to love you. Look how the Bible says in Ephesians 1, verse 4, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's exciting. And I I might still wonder why would God love someone as valuable as me, but when I start to see that it was God's plan, it was his choice, that before he ever created me and you, he saw us and he chose to love us. So why don't you just turn to your neighbor and just tell them it was God's plan to love you. Come on, it was God's plan to love you. I mean, think about it. He created the entire universe, and this is a whole other sermon series, but in essence, he created the whole universe to display his glory. It's for his glory. But the punchline of his glory in creation is his love for us. He created all of this to reveal himself to us. He created this planet so that we could live and we could breathe and exist and encounter him, but the punchline of his glory is his love for us. And then God not only created us, created our flesh and blood and, and the, whole, the, the whole creation of our physical being on this planet and our soul and all of that, but then God made a way to create us again, that we might be born again. And we call it salvation. We call it life transformation when we surrender to Christ. James 1.18 says it this way, God decided to give us life through the word of truth, so we might be the most important of all the things he made. And that's speaking of the new life in Christ. It's not speaking of life in the sense that you were born, but that you were born again. He, he chose to give us life through the word of truth, that is Jesus, so that we might be the most important things of all that he made. And why did he do it? His love. Oh, his love. When we get to that part in the service, when we sing that song and we say those words, oh, his love for me, I hope that you'll be able to feel it, to sense it, to to embrace it, to abide in it, that you leave this place today or you go out to wherever you're going to go to eat lunch and to work this week and that you abide and you remain in God's love. And here's, here's another thing I want you to get a truth about God and his love. God doesn't just love us. He is love. God doesn't just love you. He's not just a God who loves you, and I'm thankful for that. There's all kinds of ways that God expresses his love for me in an action, but God himself is love. His very essence is love, and that truth changes everything. 1 John 4 tells us this. It says this, God is love. Say that with me. God is love. So not only is God his love, he demonstrates it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So God doesn't just demonstrate his love, and I'm thankful that he did, but at the very essence of God and who he is is love. And because he is love, he did what we couldn't do for ourselves. He became one of us. He was beaten. He was bruised. He bled so that there might be a way that we could have new life in Christ, become a child of God, and know God. And that's good news. So I may, I may know all this. Maybe you've been in church long enough. You read the Bible long enough 
to know it up here, but it's a deeper challenge to know it here. It's, it's, it's more difficult to live it out here that I'm loved, I'm accepted, that God is for me, that I'm not insignificant to, insignificant to God, and yes, I've sinned, but God still loves me. It's, it's, it's one thing to know it here, but another thing to live it here, and I can't really sing it. I can't really worship with that truth until it's in me. And I might even believe that God loves the world. The most famous, probably the most well-known verse in America is what? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. I might even believe that, that God's, God loves the world. But what about somebody who is messed up? What about a nobody like me? I think that we need to really understand and come face to face with how radical God's love is for us because we ask those rhetorical questions, how could God love someone as bad as me, as insignificant as me? It's a rhetorical question because we filter love's ability through our ability to love. We need to come face to face with how radical God's love is. Romans 5.8 shows us, it says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, look at this, while we were still sinners. I mean, think about it. God looked through time and he saw us in our sin. Not only the acts of sin, but the power of sin at work in us. And he saw that and while we were still sinners, he chose to love us, he chose to rescue us and make a way that we might become a child of God. Now, our problem, though, is when we fixate on self. I mean, that, again, the inferiority complex and the narcissism are both rooted in that fixation on self. We fixate on our sin. We fixate on, we we focus on how we've messed up or who we are compared to other people, and we make that bigger than God's grace. And in fact, I believe we tell God in doing that, we tell God that he's a liar. We, or we tell God that he's delusional. An- another question in this book, The Search for Significance, is a powerful question, is this. He, uh, Robert McGee asks, when, when God considers you, does he deceive himself in some way? Speaking to the child of God, the follower of Jesus, does he c- deceive himself in some way or does he know who you truly are? See, if you think of yourself differently than God, then the question I have is who is mistaken, God or you? If you think of yourself as differently, then God sees you as forgiven, as set free, as ransomed, that you have a home with him. Who's right? Is it you or God? And so if we move our, move our focus from ourself and we turn our attention on how big God's love and how big God's grace is, that he knew that we needed somebody to come and to rescue us. And because of his love for us, he, he set out on that rescue mission to rescue us from the fate of our own destruction. If we really get and come face to face with that and feel it and allow ourselves to even feel being loved by God, then I believe that worship can come out with greater passion and with great gratitude. We can sing those words, while I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. And here's the beautiful thing. God planned, he planned all this from the beginning to love us and to rescue us. 
He gave us clues along the way, right from the very beginning. beginning. Adam and Eve, if you know the story, they sinned, they did their own thing, right? And so at one moment, they're naked and happy. The next moment, they're ashamed and hiding from God because they've sinned. What did God do? He killed an innocent animal. He sacrificed an innocent animal and took that skin and covered them. Jesus told a parable, a story to illustrate God's kingdom about the lost son. And one of the sons, he he took his inheritance early and he went and he blew it on wild living. He wasted it. And here he is in a pig pen in the filth and the stink. And he's saying to himself, even the servants in my father's house have something better, a better situation. He comes back to his father and even says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Who am I? I'm insignificant. I've messed up. I'm not worthy. What does the father do? And the father in the story represents Father God. The father brings, among other things, brings a robe and covers him and restores him. And all that was a foreshadowing of God's plan from the very beginning to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. But you don't know, you don't know what I've done, but God still loves you. And if you will surrender whether you are a Christian or not. And what do I mean by that? If you have yet to surrender your life to Christ, if you will just surrender your life to Jesus, you'll receive a new identity. If you are a follower of Jesus and yet you've bought into this lie that I'm not really sure if God loves me and accepts me, if you will reject that lie and surrender to God's truth, then you can embrace your identity as a son or daughter of God. John three sixteen. How many raise your hand? You know that, you know that verse by heart, all right? I want to read it together, but I want you to put your name in the blank as we read it. Here we go. For God so loved Chris Puccini. Did you put your name in there? Let's do it one more time. For God so loved. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved you that he gave his son. So not only, not only does God's love offer grace, but write this down. It's God's love that makes you significant. It's not what you do. It's not your performance. It's not the opinion of others. It is that God chose to love you, and he demonstrated by sending Jesus to die for you. It's that love of God that makes you significant. You know, it's one thing to stand before God and recognize in a sense of being in awe of God's grace, that how could you love a sinner such as me, as the song says, right? And be in awe of that, but the response, be worshiped to God and receive mercy and grace. What I'm talking about today is standing and looking at God and saying, there's no way that you could love someone like me. And, and, and the result is disbelief and disbelieving that God loves you, that you're accepted by God. God's love for you makes you significant. Here's another truth about God's love. God's love is eternal. It's not temporary and it's not conditional as so many of us are used to in this world. But God's love never gives up. It never runs out. It's eternal. Look what Psalm 136 verse 1 says. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures 
forever. If you read the whole Psalm 136, you will find 26 verses of phrases, and then the, the second phrase of each verse is, his faithful love endures forever. And I think some of us need to do like the psalmist, read that over and over, say, say that over and over until we get it in here, that his love never fails, it never ends, it endures forever. Today, I believe that for some of you, actually for all of us, that God is pursuing us. For some of us, we're outside of relationship with God. Maybe you're not surrendered to, G- to Jesus and he is pursuing you. Some of you need to surrender and receive that new identity as a child of God. Some of you are, are Christians and yet you're living the lie that you're not really sure if you're in the house or you're outside of the house. Some of you need to believe God about who you are. You are significant because you are on the heart of God. You are significant because God's thinking about you. God loves you. So today, maybe one time you knew God, perhaps you walked away from him, maybe you're wounded by the church or some Christians that represent God to you. And you walked away from him. You got mad and you just left. He loves you. I believe he's coming for you. Or maybe you're the person with a jaded view of God. God is coming for you. He loves you and he chose to love you before you ever returned love to him. Those of you who are adults in the room, you remember back when you were like in middle school, that age, or maybe even high school. And you know, you liked, you liked another girl. It's mostly us guys who do this stupid stuff, right? And so you ask your her friend to ask her if she likes you. Anybody else do that or only me? <laughs> because you want to know before you express that, you know, you like this person. And, and then even in dating, it's like, I don't want to say I love you first, right? Because if I say I love you, that's risky to say it first, right? And so I, I would say sit across from Lynette in, in a class at... Uh, North Central, and I would say, I would say the word olive juice. See, try it. Say it to your neighbor just without saying it. It's like, what? I said olive juice. What are you talking about, right? Because loving first takes the biggest risk, doesn't it? But it makes, it makes the person significant when you love first. The Bible says it this way in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. He first, he's the first, he took the first step. He chose to love us and that's what makes you significant. So who am I? I am deeply loved by God. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I am loved by God. And because of that love, he offers grace. He offers acceptance. One of the greatest theological doc- the doctrines in the Bible is the whole idea of adoption, that God has brought me into his family. And when I accept grace and I accept his offer, I'm freed, I'm forgiven, God is for me, I have a home with God. Because of God's love, I am a child of God. That is my identity, and my identity in that relationship changes everything. I have access to God. How many are excited about that? That is your identity in Christ. There's a, there's a famous picture, and I'm going to show you, and then we're going to respond to what God's saying. A famous picture of John F. Kennedy Jr. Let's shoot that up on the screen. And 
This is the biggest picture I could get, but you see uh, John F. Kennedy and you see his son down below. And I don't know about if, if this was you back in the day and that was you, you would be arrested, right, by the Secret Service. This is, how did you get in here, right? And you do, you do, we don't have access to the President of the United States, but, but why did John F. Kennedy Jr. have access to be here? Because he's a child. There's relationship. There's, there's access that we have to our Father God because of a relationship, and that changes everything. And it's not based on my performance. It not, it's not based on how well you know, I can perform or serve God, even in Christian performance or good works. It's based on him, that he is love. So if you struggle with his love, I'm gonna pray for you today, that you can encounter and experience God's love. So all over this place, would you stand with me? If you're listening online, would you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful for grace. Lord, it's, it's one thing for us to stand and recognize that our sin has separated us from you and feel the weight of that. As long as we turn and look at grace and look at the cross and say, thank you, God. So God, I pray for my friends that today that they're looking at how they've messed up, maybe how they even messed up last night. And because of that, the enemy, their own mind, the wrong system is saying, I'm too far gone. I've messed up too many times. I've blown it. There's no way that God could love me and in turn offer grace, offer grace again. God, I pray that you would show up in their life today in such a radical way that they would encounter your love in a fresh and new way. Those that think that they're insignificant, they're a nobody, God, may they see in proper view your greatness how you are higher than us and you're bigger than us and, and who are we? But we are significant because you created us and you chose to love us. And because of that, that makes us significant and our value is in you. It's wrapped up in you. God, change us from the inside out today. For those who have yet to trust you, they're not living surrender to you today. May they receive your mercy and your grace and your love. For my friends that today that they're following you. God, may we be able to worship right now with greater sense of gratitude and confidence of who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen.